0: I was talking to a fellow that I knew not too long ago, and I am always profoundly interested in all the kinds of things that people do, and I think it's a, a marvelous gift that God has given to people that they serve as agents of his providence in all the different aspects of life. Whether they work in a hospital, whether they work in a school, whether they work at home as a parent, whether they sell things or make things or provide things for others. It's endlessly fascinating to me, so I like to talk to people about that. And a guy was involved in a business, and I don't want to give him away, so I'll just... He was involved in a business, and he had done very well. And he was involved in multiple businesses that were very similar. And I was curious because I'd never known anybody who owned this business. And I said, "How'd you get into this?" Because he loved it, and he was afforded a kind of life that he had only dreamed of because of it. And he answered, as he was wont to do, as he was from Fort Oglethorpe. He said, "Hey, even a blind pig finds an acorn sometimes." And I I had never heard that expression before. Maybe you have. Even a blind pig finds an acorn sometimes. That's how he got into the business. That's how he found prosperity in his life. Because even a blind pig can find an acorn sometimes. Well, I looked up that expression to make sure I was remembering it right and to make sure he said it right. The Roman version of it was even a blind dove finds a pea. Sometimes you've heard a blind squirrel finds a nut, but the point behind all of it that Jesus takes up as part of his argument today, even though he doesn't use our idiom, is that the reason that blind pigs can find acorns, or blind doves can find peas, or blind squirrels can find nuts, is because our Father in heaven is superintending even the activity of vision-impaired animals. Jesus wants you to take that argument and apply it to yourself and say, are you more valuable than a blind pig? Are you worth more than a blind dove? Are you more substantial in the eyes of God than a rat with a bushy tail called a squirrel? See, Jesus, as he continues his line of thinking, which pastor hutch preached on last week is reminding us that you have two choices in the world you can entrust yourself entirely upon the god of the heavens whose love fuels the sun and who waters the earth who opens his hand and satisfies the desires of every living thing and when he removes them people freak out and animals freak out and they die But when He sends His Spirit, they are recreated. He says your choice is to entrust yourself to this one or to entrust yourself somehow to created things. To look to the power of money. To provide you with the kind of security. With the kind of fame. With the kind of pleasure. With the kind of need fulfillment that you know deep in your soul that you have. He says you have two choices. It's either God or it's money. You can't serve both. And he continues by saying, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you're, or about your body, what you'll wear. And as he goes on, talking about these, some of, these, uh, of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the bottom base, the most critical aspects of existence... He says, look, pagans run after these things. Godless people run after these things. Pagans, the nations, people who don't know the right hand from their left hand, people who are led along by their own noses who say confounding things like follow your own truth. Those people, they don't know any better. And so they give themselves to the pursuit of money. They give themselves to the Attainment of their own needs. But you belong to a Father in heaven. So you don't have to worry. See, what he's doing right here, as he reminds us that God leads even blind pigs, he's trying to give you a way to battle your own practical atheism. You realize that this is a constant threat to you, practical atheism? The psalmist says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The wicked, in their thoughts, there is no room for God. What happens when you get worried? What happens when you become fretful? What happens when you start to wonder what's going to happen to you? Isn't it that you're starting to envision a future where God isn't? When you get overcome in the moment, and it happens to you like this, isn't it that you're overcome in that moment with this thought that God will not be there next Tuesday? Yeah, yeah, maybe he was there in the past. He might possibly be here now, but there's not a chance on July the 14th that he's going to be there. And who knows where he's going to be when I hit retirement age? There's a kind of practical atheism that, that comes over us when our insecurity, and we're insecure little creatures we don't control very much, even though we have the illusion of thinking we do. We live in a dangerous world. We are perpetrated against by all sort of news networks and politicians who only exist, and this is a, quite a cynical statement, to rouse your fear. <laughs> they don't think that's why they exist, but that's why I think they exist. There are people who make lots of money over you being godless. Over you not thinking that God will be there tomorrow. Over me not thinking that God will be there tomorrow. And so he urges us, do not be practical atheists. Do not crowd God in his lavish goodness. His littering of mercies every place. Do not crowd him out of your thinking about the future. Are you going to be sunk? That's what godless people do. You should be godful people. And so he says, here's how you do it. Here's how you can remember that God is the one who leads blind pigs to acorns. That God is the one who wants you to believe that practical atheism is not anything except foolishness. He says, here's what you do give consideration give up control and go after god i'm never this organized but here we go we'll see give consideration therefore i tell you don't worry about your life what you'll eat or drink or what your or body what you wear isn't life more important than food and your body more important than clothes look look at the birds of the air they don't sow or reap I ain't no farmer. I think this is a farming metaphor, right? You plant stuff and then you harvest it later. Well, a bird is irresponsible. They don't do none of that. They don't even have a 401k set up. They don't store away in barns. And yet, in their great and colossal irresponsibility, your heavenly Father feeds them. Jesus, as he's trying to combat our practical atheism, you can imagine is sitting on a mountainside. He's outside and he's just looking around. He picks birds. He does this in other places where he's trying to assuage fears saying, "Hey, you know your God looks after sparrows. He's got the head hairs numbered on you. Whether you've got 14 hairs or you've got thousands of them, he knows." Jesus is just looking around because his vision of life under the sun is this. There is not anything you can see that isn't being actively watched over, sustained, nourished, and fed either directly or indirectly by your Father in the heavens. So Jesus could have picked anything. You see that little snail? How did he get his house? He walks around with a house on his back because his Heavenly Father put a house on his back. You see that skunk? How can he protect himself with that malodorous arsenal? Your Heavenly Father gives him protection. He's just looking around the world. Show me a mountain. Show me a mulberry bush. Show me a flower. Give me a daffodil, a daisy. And Jesus says, it's a God-bathed world. So I can draw inferences from it. And he urges you, do the same. Consider. Think about it. Look around the world. Some morning when you wake up, you who are overcome sometimes with a sense of worry and anxiety about all that must be done today, just pause for a minute and think, what did I have to do with the rising of the sun? Did the sun come up this morning because of my being responsible, dutiful, faithful, and competent? Or did somehow or another the earth keep spinning on its axis, did it rotate the right way, Did I wake up with breath in my lungs because someone was up to something all night while I was snoozing? He says, pause, consider, think about this, look around. At our house, when Diggy, after he had been murdered, there was a time where we had no dog. Now we've taken church lady, we have stolen her from the church. For a time... There were rude intruders called raccoons and most abysmally, a possum, who decided that the hole through our screen porch door was their invitation to take our dog food. They assumed that they were welcome onto our porch. There's nothing that is more angering to me than a possum, I'm sorry to say this, possum lovers of the world. But a possum... Not only will it make you mad just by being there, by its grossness and its, its indelicacies, he will also make you mad because as you try to shoo it off, as you try to get it to go, it just looks at you with those crossed eyes. It just stares at you contemptuously. Like it's mocking you. Okay, maybe I've gone crazy. But this possum would get on our porch and I'm the only person in the south of Lookout Mountain that doesn't own a firearm. I apologize. I'm not fulfilling my manifest destiny as a human. But you know what I do have? I have baseballs. And I've got some sticks. And so sometimes late at night when this possum would come on the porch and I'd hear it out there prowling around, and my ire would be inflamed. I would run to a bucket of baseballs and I'd gather up several of them and I would start heave-hoeing at this possum. And he would look at me (laughs) with contempt. Sometimes I'd hit him, sometimes I'd miss, but always I'd be infuriated. One time he started out the door and I had a stick and I walloped him on the backside. He tumbled down the steps. I think that night he was back 15 minutes later. I was more angry. He was going across the yard. I hit him. 15-yard curl. Right in the side. He kept going. He came back the next night. God says, consider, even a blind possum is protected from your rage. I'm ensuring that a blind possum gets to eat quality cat food and dog food on your porch, and you're much bigger than he is. But he came to the one house in the whole county that doesn't have a firearm. I insured that. God would urge you to look around, to notice what he's up to in the world, to notice and to believe that he's the one who really does open his hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing, and then to start to say, and we're more valuable than even the creation. We're the apex of it. We're the ones created in God's image, and Jesus urges us to consider his watchful care. And as you give consideration, you realize what he's urging you to do as well is he's, learning, learn, he's urging you to sort of refurnish your imagination. Because worry is all about an imagination that's galloping at a furious pace. You may not realize this, but let me tell you how it is the case. Well, I realized this. I listened, don't know if they're here today. I listened to someone in our congregation one time tell me, oh, our three year old loves pirates of the Caribbean. And at first I was scandalized. I was like, what? They do what? Because I've seen some of those images and I think that is frightening. That kid's never gonna sleep for 37 years. But then they went on to say, you know what? They see these images and um, Pir- pirates of the Caribbean. You know, a clanking skeleton with a funny hat and a sword, and our three-year-old cracks up. These images meant to be terrifying make her laugh. You know why that is? Well, she hasn't learned to associate such things with devilish things, with afterworldly things, with zombieish, frightening, terrifying things. So it is kind of funny to see somebody without skin, I reckon, wearing a funny hat. The imagination is what brings the fear. And of course, that's the kind of thing that happens to us all the time. Whenever you get worried about something, your head starts to hurt. There's at least 17 percent of the people in here. You've had a headache. Maybe it lasted for an hour. So your headache soon had you thinking and it might only taken uh, 37 seconds. Your headache had you thinking, "I've got a brain tumor." I'm not going to be able to raise my children. My husband's going to have a different wife. I'm never going to see my children get married because you've got a headache. You know why? Because your imagination starts to take you into a godless future. It starts to take you in all kinds of different ways. You can worry about all kinds of different mutually exclusive things all at the same time. Which is why in Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis has the senior devil say to the junior devil, here's what you want to do, if you can. Rouse the hopes and fears of your Christian patient in all sorts of ways in their mind. There's nothing like suspense and anxiety to barricade a Christian's mind against God. Just keep God out of their thoughts. Keep them practically atheistic. And you see what's so sinister about this is it just happens to us. You have to be mindful. That's why you have to pause and consider. Because you can, if you're an inveterate worrier, you'll just be in it before you know it. You'll have just been worrying for 15 minutes and you didn't even realize you were doing it. But all of a sudden you're terrified and your blood pressure's raised up and you're sweating and you're nervous and you're filled with dread. Your enemy would love to keep your thoughts filled with all kinds of worries about what might happen to you and to keep God utterly outside of them. So he says, instead, let your imagination be furnished when worry comes to you by looking around and seeing how God cares for things, even insignificant things, little tiny things. Look back at your own life and consider Has God ever answered a prayer? Has God ever seen you through a hard thing? Has God ever given you hope when you were right there on the cusp of despair? Did God let you wake up? Consider these things. Refurnish your imagination to believe that this world is a place that God is actively involved in every aspect of, and He doesn't fall asleep. Give consideration, He says. The other thing he urges us to do is to give up control. How does he do that? Well, he says this. As part of the argument you make against your worry, as part of the way you argue yourself into a non-atheistic position of believing that God's fatherly, watchful care is involved in everything. He says this. Aren't you much more valuable than a bird? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Jesus is actually asking you to think about a few things. Now, when you're a worried person, you're an anxious person, I'm really kind of a PhD on this stuff by experience. I deal with it every single day. I'm always fighting against this stuff. And I've gotten great deliverances, and I've had colossal failures. He says, here's one thing. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? When you are feeling anxious, one of the things that happens to you is that everything feels out of control. Our life moves at such a pace that it's easy for things to feel out of control. And so one of the things that we do is we think the way to get out of my anxiety is to control more things. That's why some of you have pristine houses. You get nervous and everybody else better get out of the way because you're going to be on a cleaning frenzy because you're going to have something in your life that is ordered and controlled and pretty when all the rest of it feels out of control. We all do it in some kind of way. You deal with your anxiety by trying to control more. But Jesus is saying, hey, consider the possibility that there's about 98.34% of the things on planet Earth that you actually don't have any control over. I'll grant you that there's a point... What is that? 0.66% of things you do have some control over. But so much of it you don't have any control over whatsoever. So don't live in a delusional world. In a sense, he's kind of a, he's a precursor of a counselor, a good counselor, who's helping you live in reality. He says if you walk around thinking that you're in control of everything, in control of how healthy your children are, in control of what they become, in control of your financial future, in control of the protection and security of your family. If you really think that, you're about as deluded as a as a civil war reenactor who actually thinks he's still fighting for Robert E. Lee. You're dressed up in a silly costume and you're playing a game and you have you have become someone who's living in an altered state of reality. And Jesus says, as a good counselor does, let me help you reorient yourself to reality. You don't control anything. So much about your life is utterly out of your control. And all that has to happen is sometime or another, just watch what happens sometimes when all of a sudden your dryer breaks and your car breaks and your ankle breaks and your head hurts and your children are out of control. Um and you just want to throw up your hands, and you're like, are you serious? There's so many things that go on without a hitch sometimes, and then sometimes they all break at the same time, and you realize, oh, I guess I don't control any of this. This is annoying. Some of you have been parents, at least for the first time, when you had a baby. And for a great number of weeks and months and days you didn't sleep you know why because that baby was in the room with you and you all of a sudden had this ultrasonic hearing where you could hear things happening in west mississippi that baby would go and you would wake up and you dash over and you say what's wrong with her is she okay you look at it you look at its chest is it breathing is it breathing Honey, I don't know if she's breathing. Do you... If you maintain your sanity, didn't you either explicitly or implicitly? For me, it was explicit. I had to have some point where I thought, okay, if I leave the room, this child is still breathing and his heart's beating and all that stuff, whether I'm in here or not. I don't think when it comes down to it that I have anything to do with the perpetual motion of his heart and the rhythmic patterns of his breathing. Now, everybody gets to that point at some point, either explicitly or implicitly, or you just become a wreck and you get on medication. But you start to realize, hey, I don't control this. And there's this great liberation to believe, I don't control my children's well-being entirely. I don't control it. And as you give up control, you find worry starting to dissipate. As you try to control less and you entrust more to God, you find worry being diluted, being less important. Think about this. you really think locking your doors and having a security system is what keeps you safe? Do you think having an arsenal is what keeps you alive? Do you really think that a fully funded 401K is the thing that's going to make your life into something? If you think that you're in control of all this, Jesus will say, you're not! Stop it! You're a deluded Civil War reenactor. And here's what happens. Is when you're trying to control everything, this is what happens to all of us in our insecurity. You become like a, like a cosmic, penniless orphan in a very expensive universe. And you're walking around bearing burdens that were just too large for you, and they make your shoulders crumble. And they make your joy go away. And God says through Jesus, God incarnate, you've got a father. You have a father in heaven who's who said, I'm not going to leave you, who says, I'm gonna be there tomorrow, just like I was there yesterday, and I will be there next Saturday morning and next Wednesday afternoon. And this is not father, this is not your vacation father, who's easily agitated and always complaining about how much everything costs. This is not your father who's sunk down in a recliner with his nose stuck in the paper and is easily agitated and can't be bothered. This is not inattentive father. This is father who's staying up while you sleep, worrying about your future for you. This is father whose face lights up when you walk into the room. This is father who takes great delight in watching you Sleep, as one of our fathers in here has told me, I love to watch my children sleep. Because he gives sleep to those he loves. They can rest easy under his watchful care. Jesus says, you have a father like this. So you can give up control, not just blindly. Not like Bob Marley, don't worry about the ting because every little ting is going to be all right. How do you know everything's going to be all right, but... God will be there and control can be offered up to him. So give consideration, give up control. And the last thing is this, give up, uh, go after God. So don't say, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says, look, it's not going to work if you just try to give up your worry by going and sitting in a corner and trying really hard not to worry. That's not the thing to do at all. He says, instead, what you should do is join the ranks of insecure, frightened, desperate, uncertain people throughout history who have dealt with God. Join the ranks of the psalmist who says, praise be to God who daily bears our burdens. Join the ranks of the psalmist who says, I sought the Lord and he delivered me from all my fears. I called to you, O Lord, and you made me bold and stout-hearted. See, nobody says things like that unless they were flimsy-hearted and cowardice before, unless they were filled up with fears, unless they had worries that were overwhelming them. He says, you can let your worry be a firewall. You can let your fretting be a blockade against God. Or you can let it be an invitation. Like a large, unruly dog that walks you to God. Have you seen ladies being walked by their dogs, by their large dogs? Let your worry walk you to God. Because here's what always happens. Whenever you let some created thing... Like your need for security. So you think, I've got to get more money. Your need to be loved, to be accepted. So I've got to look a certain way. I'm not as felt and fashionable as Pastor Eric. (laughs) Okay, that's a joke. I'm being ironical. When you think that the way you look, the maintenance of your health, your financial security become the main thing for you, they are always going to guarantee you a great deal of anxiety. If I just get a new house, I'll be better. If I just have enough money in the bank, I'll be fine. What happens when you, if you've gotten one, if you've got a new car? Do you become a more relaxed person with a brand new car? Do you have more or less rules with children in a brand new car? Yes, please eat a peanut butter jelly sandwich in my new car. I would love for this upholstery to become very sticky unremovable stains. You become a mad person with a new vehicle. The accumulation of wealth does not diminish your anxiety ever. It increases your load of care. And if it becomes the main thing about you, it will just make your anxieties raise all the more. If looking a certain way becomes the main thing about you, it will just increase your anxieties more. And Jesus says, because this is a principle that the universe is founded on. You don't get second things by... Putting them first. You get first things by putting first things first. That's how C.S. Lewis put it. So, one talks best when one does not say, let us converse. Some of your best talks don't come because they were planned, because they were overly self-conscious. They just happen because there was an environment for them. If you want sleep at night, you don't say, I'm going to try really hard to get some sleep. No, sleep comes while you're not trying to sleep. If your marriage is falling apart and you become someone who inspects every single moment of your marriage, it's still going to fall apart. You don't get a better marriage by only thinking about your marriage. Jesus says, you run after God and then everything else falls into place. You reorder your life and your love so that he has preeminent position And you realize, oh, I'm his creation, and he's my father, and he's resourcing me, and he cares about what I become, and he's the one who provides for me, so I'm going to keep running after him. Go after God, he says. One author has said this. Most Christians are crucified daily between Two thieves, the thieves of the regret of yesterday and the thieves of the worry about tomorrow. And when I read that, I thought, you know, what's amazing is that's actually right. I think there's a lot of you here who are eaten up with regret because you don't think God was in your past overseeing even the traumatic things. And you're being flanked on the other side, crucified next to a thief of worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. What's going to happen to me? Are we going to have enough? Am I going to keep my job? Am I going to be able to put the kids through school? Whatever it happens to assail you with. That Jesus himself was actually crucified. Not neurotically crucified by fake pain from the past or fake pain in the future. That's what neurosis is. You create fake pain to avoid real. Jesus encountered real pain for us. Flanked by two thieves. And the one thief who wasn't mocking him said this. Jesus... Because he saw that he was someone who could do something about it. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And you know how Jesus answered him? Dying as he was? Ashamed as he was? He said, my son, today, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Today. Today is the day that you entrust yourself to Christ. You're always in your faith, either moving away from God or moving toward him. And Jesus says, let your worries lead you into a kind of consideration, into a giving up of control. Let your worries urge you to go after Christ, who has said, I'll withhold nothing from you. I'll be with you today. As you trust him, no matter how big your fears, you might find a little paradise even today. Amen.